0: Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the entire world of rugby union. As always, I am your host, David Lawrence. I am an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you would like to get in touch, frankly, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of scrum. I'm on Instagram at the scrum of the earth podcast, and you can always drop me an email at the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. So This is, in fact, the second-to-last episode for our first season here at the Scrum of the Earth. It's been so much fun. I can't thank all of you enough for tuning in each and every week. It's been so great. If you have any questions, ideas, or maybe even complaints that you'd like me to cover in our final uh, episode for the season next week, please get in touch in the next couple of days. I will be sure to include it, good or bad. In the meantime, we had a ton of rugby to watch this weekend, so let's get the show rolling. So as always, we start with current updates. And you know what? My current update is that this past Friday, July 8th, was my 10th anniversary. That's right, a full decade ago. The love of my life made me the happiest man on the planet. Every single day since then has been better. There have obviously been tough times, especially in the wake of this GD pandemic. But even so, every single day I learn something new. I get some sort of ray of sunshine to shine on a soul that, frankly, had gone largely dark. And uh, I'm hugely grateful to be her partner and to share that fact with all of you. You know, uh, we got married at the House of Seven Gables in Salem, Massachusetts, and the day itself was, you know, as perfect as the skirl of the bagpipes calling out over the Atlantic as we began a lifetime of celebration. The best thing on the day was probably my best friend, Amy, who was a lighting designer, and whose gift to us was to rent, design, and then get somebody to run A whole light show, a gorgeous array of shapes and colors to illuminate our magical reception with one of the greatest interplanetary funk bands ever, a big old dirty bucket there. Even the grandparents were blown away by them. It was like a a spaceship landed and everyone was immediately abducted mentally. It was incredible. Every time I think back about that day, I remember just how lucky I am. So thanks to you listeners for, you know, putting up with me gushing on about it right now. But I mean, come on, it's been 10 years. I had to say something. People Well, Isa, good news for the players involved, but not good news for fans like myself, as the Free Jacks continue to shed key players. So as you recall, the man himself, Bodine Waka, he announced his move to the Kobe Steelers in Japan last week. But since then, it's been several more players, most of whom I really love, and they're mostly headed to the NPC. So Slade McDowell, one of my absolute favorites, he heads up that list. I'm a bit worried what we're going to look like next year. Uh, Friends of mine from the first regiment and from the Jack's Rangers podcast have reminded me that people can play in the NPC and then come back to play in the MLR as BW did just last season. So that made me feel mildly optimistic, but I don't know something about the way these announcements have been phrased always along the lines of this player has decided not to return to the new England free Jacks next year, as opposed to, I don't know, this player is headed to new zealand to continue to play rugby during the mlr off season or anything that sort of seems less final that would have been kind of nice but anyway mills sanarivi the walking, breathing fistfight that is Jesse Peretti and the guy who still owes me a blues jersey, Terrell Paita, are all NPC bound while Justin Johnson has moved to USA Rugby South for their upcoming tour of Colombia. Eric Jager, he's headed to the Pro de Deux in France and Pieter Jansen is uh, back to the Rainbow Nation, his, his home of course, to continue to rehab the knee I watched him injure just a couple of months ago. It's very early in the offseason, and it's always tough when you see a list of people leaving without seeing a list of people joining or even just, you know, being confirmed to return. But, oh boy, after the way this season ended for us, it just feels like salt in the old wounds, you know? Nevertheless, these guys are trying to make a living in a very difficult field. I honestly wish them the greatest success imaginable. Eric Younger might have the toughest time of it. Here's hoping he keeps both eyes intact in the Pro deux. So, as always, next up is thoughts of the week. And you know what? My thoughts this week are, I guess somewhat surprisingly, all on the next Rugby World Cup, whose final selection slots are filling rapidly in the coming weeks. So, quick update for everybody. So, there are 12 teams pre-qualified for next year's tournament based on the results in Japan in 2019. Those teams are, in alphabetical order, Argentina, Australia, England, Fiji, france ireland italy japan new zealand scotland south africa and wales so the other slots the europe one and europe two slots are both filled already that will feature georgia and romania the oceania slot has been filled by samoa the america's two slot is still up for grabs and is down to the two test series between my own usa eagles and the condors of chile the winner of that series will join pool d The Asia-Pacific slot will come down to one final test after this weekend's result, but more on that soon. And the winner there will join Pool B. The African slot is still being hotly contested, no pun intended. And (laughs) I have to say, it's the hardest to find a way to watch here in the United States by a long shot. Kind of racist, it feels like. Anyway, that winner will join Pool A. As far as I can tell right now, the, the two teams still looking to grab that coveted spot are Namibia and Kenya. Kenya? Kenya? I never know. I'll say Kenya. Finally, the losers of the Americas two Asia Pacific and Africa qualifying tournaments will play a round-robin tourney in November to determine who will fill the very last slot, ultimately joining Pool C in the 2023 Rugby World Cup. I am obviously way overexcited for this. It's nuts. As a perpetual underdog supporter, I would love to see Kenya, who have never previously qualified, get in there. What an exciting moment that would be. Man, oh man, I love this stuff. So great. So, moving on to our reviews as always. And it was another incredible weekend of international rugby, though I, I have to say, I think I dubbed this weekend the weekend of weirdness, as you will see as we go. Actually, if you watched it all, you probably are well aware how weird everything was. But you know, I mean, frankly, these are possibly my favorite weekends of the entire year. Such good stuff. So in my notes, I had written here, things kicked off with Japan versus France, but I have a wee bonus for y'all because I dug deep and found a way to watch the final for the Asia rugby championship, which showcased world number 22, Hong Kong, facing world number 30, Korea. And as they said on their Facebook page, it was a nail biter. Hong Kong won by just two points, finishing off Korea 23 to 21. And if I'm reading things correctly, this sets them up for a showdown with Tonga, For one of the final slots left for the next Rugby World Cup, as we just discussed, I would imagine that Tonga will be a pretty big hurdle for Hong Kong. And historically, you know, Hong Kong has never qualified for a Rugby World Cup. So as you'd expect, I suddenly find myself completely rooting for them. (laughs) Even if they lose to Tonga, by the way, they would still be eligible for that final qualification tournament. So they've got a couple of bites of the apple left. Let's go HKRU. So back to your regularly scheduled program, we do stay in Asia for Japan, hosting their final test versus France, and it was another hot and humid day, bright and beautiful to behold. France scored fairly early on, but Japan's response, ooh, was gorgeous with a lightning strike right through the erstwhile defense, absolute eye candy, and it started to look like France might struggle with the sheer pace the home side brought on the day. Then, right at halftime, Japan scored a potentially even more beautiful try than their first. They found themselves up 15-7, to heading into the lockers. What a match so far. 52 minutes in, the Brave Blossoms looked fantastic and still held a slim lead. The French, however, they showed a ton of composure, never appeared overly concerned at all. They broke through for a go-ahead try, entering the final 10 minutes, and it instantly felt like this was already over. The national stadium erupted. With what looked like an answering try to reclaim the lead, but it was disallowed. And it was 15 to 20 with just the five minutes left. Japan squandered another couple lovely chances. And sure enough, behind the vast majority of the way, France pulled it out, winning a tough one in Tokyo 20 to 15 all told. Very tough loss, uh, loss for Japan. But it put France at a 10-game winning streak, a feat that they hadn't accomplished since 1931 through 37. Amazing stuff from them. They continue to look like absolute monsters heading towards a home World Cup. Well, next up, it was, of course, the New Zealand All Blacks versus Ireland test number two. Wow, the lead-up to this one was massive. I'm sure you've heard all the controversy around Johnny Sexton not only being allowed to play, but reassuming his starting role The optics this past week were very, very bad. But according to everything I've seen and heard, there was technically no actual reason why he shouldn't have played, so I'm just going to leave it at that. You know what? If he takes a knock in this match, though, I mean, all hell will break loose for sure. In any event, it was a frosty evening, even under the roof at Forsyth Bar, where the ABs have won all seven matches they played over the last decade. Hey, a decade. That reminds me of something. Oh, yeah, I've been married for a decade. Anyway, Ireland despite that last stat, Ireland are actually two and two in Dunedin overall. Uh, both of which were pool stage victories in world cups back in 2011. And then all the way back in 1987, when Johnny Sexton got his first ever concussion at the age of 42. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure on those figures, but it sounds right. I'm going to go with that. Anyway, there was actually a match to be played and both sides came out firing. Andrew Porter took only three minutes to score the first try of the match and an eerily similar start to the game from last week. However, Ireland, they looked calm and collected, adding another three before Lester Fein Anuku, got yellow-carded, and the, the plentiful Irish fans on hand were making themselves known. It was another yellow shortly thereafter, and the comms were convinced New Zealand got away easy with no penalty try awarded. Things were looking way off-kilter for the home team. After 27 minutes... Ireland had had 75% of the possession and had spent three and a half minutes inside the All Blacks 22, as opposed to all of 36 seconds for New Zealand. Alarm bells abounded. Then, oof, at 30 minutes, a nasty head-on-head collision left two players on the turf. That turned somehow into a red card for the All Blacks, and I wrote down, it's Ireland's day in the old notes. Yikes, I mean, nothing at all was going the way of the hosts, Backs against the wall, New Zealand went uncontested in the scrum, which sent Artie Savia to the bench in favor of uncapped Aiden Ross. Very, very hard for me to see the sense in a move like that, but what do I know? Sure enough, though, as things unfolded, when one of the cards expired, Jaco Piper decided that Artie wasn't allowed to come back on, seemingly against what the rule actually says. What a weird one today. So reverting back to their usual ways, New Zealand scored a powerful try, swaddled in constant Irish penalties right at halftime. It was 14 players each headed into the second half. Can't say I was particularly enjoying this one. It was a little painful, uh, just a a hodgepodge of oddities. Cool little side note, though. However, uh, this was the 13th time that three Barrett brothers had started together for the All Blacks. That is some feat. Super cool. Anywho, New Zealand, they never really found their mojo in this one at all. They seemed put off by all the odd events and decisions by the officials right from the start. They only managed five more points the rest of the way and handed Ireland their first ever victory in the Aotearoa, 12-23 at the final buzzer. Not a pretty one to watch, but I'm sure if I was an Ireland supporter, I would be singing a wildly different tune and doing it very, very loudly. Well, of course, that one was followed quickly by Australia versus England, though... (laughs) It looked, again, like Flo was getting set to massively drop the ball with no replay on offer by midday. You know, we'd have to wait and see on that one. I can just picture their new slogan. Hey, two out of three ain't bad. Eventually, the replay did show up, which meant I actually watched this one last out of all these matches. The pregame lead-in was just great. They went full throttle on honoring the indigenous people, the deep roots. I am always ready and willing to fall for this stuff, hook, line, and sinker. Those, uh... Last week, I I mentioned what I called the Perth helmets. You know, they had multiplied like rabbits over the week. It looked like an unbroken wave of that orangish gold uh, as things got started. And oh, those special Wallabies jerseys with the indigenous designs. So beautiful. So great. Of course, all that being said, I just had this gnawing, terrible feeling it was time for an emphatic win by the English after all the shade thrown their way this week. Oh, and I just threw up in my own mouth. Sure enough, not only did the English get out to a quick start, they brought the idiotic, you know, swing low mob with them, apparently. And this one was going to be tough to watch, I can tell. Sure, Flo botches the audio for these matches all the time, but they couldn't have screwed up the crowd mics for this one? Come on! Compounding my frustration, Ellis Genge, who is one of the best in the world at his in, in his position, and who I usually love watching more and more like over these last few years, my estimation of him has just risen and risen. He's so great. But Genji, he reverted to a bit of his old, you know, pre-captain behavior, just sort of throwing cheap shots, elbowing the faces of players on the ground, shoving people's necks, just being, frankly, a bit of a a dirty cheater. And uh, it was, maybe he was kind of just channeling the malicious and withered essence of Johnny Hill. Maybe that was it. Anyway, when a player I generally love and think of as being top of the game decides randomly to pull dumb crap like this, it just makes me feel gross. Plus, after last week, I could already tell these sort of nasty schoolyard bully-style tactics England were using were likely to continue to pay huge dividends, and frankly, I hate that. So, uh, I assume if I supported England, I would describe all of this as brilliant gamesmanship, but that is not the world in which I live. Anywho, Australia. They got an arguable yellow card for what they said was an intentional knock-on, though to me, Parisi could easily have had it. Just very confusing officiating from Andrew Brace thus far. But Owen, the human clothesline feral, he continued to be perfect off the boot. And after the first quarter, England were up by 16 in a shutout. It looked like it could have been more, you know, I have to say I glanced over at my nice little wooden box containing my game over stamp. I honestly thought about undoing its little golden clasps with a full 17 minutes left before the break. Samu Karevi, though, he got a sweet little try, and the Wallabies got the extras, but it was still a two-score game with only a half hour left. Man, oh man, Michael Hooper, he looks as good as ever. He's just been a force out there all game long. He's having a great game in not a great game, you know what I mean? One of his specialties at this point, I would say. Also, I've been loving L'Alessio lately. He's been so damn good and just his kicking, like, you can see the confidence building in him. It's it's fantastic to see, because, you know, there was there, a brief period there where it looked like it might have been utterly shattered, and uh, he's back with a force. So, anyway, a couple of individuals looked good for the Wallabies, but they, overall, just seemed totally overmatched. They were defeated by their English guests, 17 to 25, setting up a decider in Sydney next weekend. Great stuff. Well, next up was South Africa hosting Wales, and I I do want to chat just quickly about the box squad selection um, because you know what? I thought it was effing brilliant. So last weekend, we had one lineup for the box, and this week they swapped out a full 19 of those 23 players for others, including a couple uncapped players. They put out the announcement very, very early in the week and added that this wasn't much of a selection at all as they had decided they were going to do this before the series even started way in advance. And you know what? I believe them, because that's exactly the type of long-range planning that we've seen from them under the dubious reign of Rassi. Also, when you look at the two rosters next to each other, it's not even like it's the top side and a B-side. They both look like top-tier international squads. And this way, in a series they don't particularly care about they get serious looks at their full 42 or 43 player group as they head towards a rugby world cup. They desperately want to win a feat that would push them into the all time great echelons. If they weren't already there, France, I think also did some smart stuff in terms of getting the most looks at the most players, but this was just a master stroke, just like 3d level chess. I fully expected them to win despite all the chatter this week about them, you know, disrespecting Wales and nonsense like that, frankly, This is a team that has clear goals and a clear path towards achieving them. As underdogs, I still kind of wanted Wales to come through, but I have to admit, I greatly admire what the Springboks are doing these days. It's pretty long-term Belichickian stuff for me. Well, either way, it was funny because the smoke from the fireworks they set off pre-match never really floated away, so instead this massive thick smoke just shrouded the entire contest in sort of a, a ghost-like pallor. It was like watching with a cheesecloth sort of draped over your screen. Uh, the theme of weird matches obviously looked poised to continue. So this one proved very low scoring. The sides nodded at three going into the half. Signs started appearing not in Wales' favor, however, as Lewis, Ray, summit absolutely bungled a kip. Uh, kip a kick and gave it back to South Africa uh, deep within Welsh territory with the box already up three. I started to think this was going to be like the only Patriots game I've ever actually seen in person, which was a sloppy affair that saw the home team eke out a three field goals to two win. Though to be fair, it was utterly pissing down and rain in Foxborough that day. And this day looked pretty nice except for the constant shroud of smoke. Bizarro side note. Wales. They brought on Dewey Lake, and this was the first time I realized that his name is like a body of water with moisture on it. Meanwhile, magical and ageless warrior Andre Pollard, he added another three. Neither team looked interested in scoring a try in this one. By the way, after 55 minutes, the smoke and haze still hadn't cleared. It was truly an odd sight. So speaking of odd sights, (laughs) Alan Wynn-Jones, only recently on the pitch was the victim of an entirely fictitious yellow card, getting pinged for an infringement when he had quite literally nothing to do with it. So talented dimwit Josh Adams, he begged Agnes Gardner to go to the TMO, but he just wasn't interested. The replay showed the egregiousness of the mistake, even as South Africa were allowed to continue a drive that would result in a two-score lead for them. And as I've said many, many times here, I thank all gods I'm not a Welsh fan. It's hard to imagine getting over an incident like that one. I mean, if your all-time, most influential player is getting sent off completely at random with no review and no real explanation, I mean, what are you even supposed to do at that point? Anyway, with a quarter hour to go, Miracle Man, Gareth Anscombe got his team within six, but to me it didn't appear like Wales Wales were going to win this one without at least getting one try. Another side note, by the way, last time I went to get my haircut, I showed them a picture of Gareth Anscombe. They had to try very, very hard not to laugh at me. Anywho, a couple of minutes later, my phone rang, and you know what? It was Angus Gardner telling me I had been yellow-carded for sitting here watching. I couldn't believe it. Fortunately, I saw this having much less impact on Wales' chances uh, than when my friend <laughs> Alan Wyn jones was sent off. So, Anyway, as it unfolded, with just about four minutes left, Anscombe got a kick to the corner to attempt some sort of play that might net Wales the first try of either side for the day. How great would that be? As I had wished, Wales finally got the first try of the contest to make it 12-11. to 11. But naturally, it was as far out in the corner as you can possibly get, and I was suddenly overwhelmed with the idea that they would shank the extras and end up losing by a single point. Would that not be sort of the ultimate microcosm for the past year in Welsh rugby? incredibly Anscom slotted it i actually pulled my son into the room before the kick just to watch with me just for good luck seeing his face light up as it went through just um, as amazed as i was was a magical moment wales took the lead with under a minute left holy crap this is good south africa they had their final drive but knocked it forward with the clock in the red wales secured their first ever win in South Africa, breaking a, get this, 116 year streak. Simply unbelievable. I, you know, I get so wrapped up in these things. I felt so hopeless after the Alan Wynn Jones thing that this result, it, it just didn't even seem in the realm of possibilities to me. So I was over the moon at that point. What a match. The weirdness continues for sure, but I'll take this kind of oddity any day. Well, then of course, it was time for Argentina versus Scotland. And once again, There was no audio as things got started. You know, the only thing that makes the Flower of Scotland more rousing is when you can see the Piper and the giant teary-eyed men belting it out, but cannot hear anything. What a treat. What a treat that was. Thanks, Flo. You know, it makes me want to just sort of do an impromptu poll. What do you despise more deeply, Flo, the insufferable human plague from those progressive commercials, or Flo, the most abysmally incompetent streaming service in the history of humanity? You know, last week, there was no audio, period. This week, there's no, uh, I should say, there's comms only. No crowd, no ref, no TMO. I honestly can't decide what was worse. The fact that they F up these matches, especially the ones I care about most every single week, I swear, it makes it feel more and more personal, as irrational as that may be, and I admit it. Oi vey already with flow. But you know what? Okay, let's put an end to that right now. We've been doing this podcast for almost a full year now. And I've decided Flow Rugby gets way too much discussion time. It's like that Simpsons episode where they're like the the just don't look thing. I feel like I'm feeding them by constantly complaining about them. So from here on out, I pledge to you, I'm not going to even mention them. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put a rating in the show notes. It'll be between one and five poop icons to indicate the level of skill they demonstrated that particular week in providing the services that they claim to offer. I would guess, to start us off this week, this is going to be a four-poop week, if only because I feel obliged to leave enough room for them to do even worse, which feels not only possible, but inevitable. So, that is the official end of me complaining about flow. Thank you all for helping me work through it. (laughs) I feel like this is a massive group therapy session. Anyway, it was a beautiful day at a beautiful stadium, in a tight-fought contest is what ensued. Uh, each team had gotten a single penalty kick at the end of the first 20 minutes. I was already having a South Africa-Wales flashback, but after you know 23 minutes or so, I became very deeply concerned with Scotland's lineouts. Argentina stole one outright, got a hand on the next one. It was pure luck that it ended up in Scotland's hands. Just frightening looking ahead how this might pan out the rest of the match. Come on, guys! So shortly after that, though, Hamish... He got over for a sweet try in Scotland. Looked a little pumped up, though they were tamping it down. I hoped that boded well. And then, (laughs) quote, a Scottish broadsword right through the side of Argentina, unquote, was perhaps the overstatement by the comms as Bennett got one smack dab under the post to make it a two-score lead. I was kind of happy then to see Ross Thompson come on. And you know what? He didn't disappoint. It, It started to look like the Scots were rolling. It was six to 22, just at 55 minutes. (laughs) And then Buffelli, he was in the sin bin, which must have been a relief to friend of the pod, Craig Manson. I mean, Buffelli is so great for Edinburgh. You want to see him do well for his country, but you know, not against Scotland, right? So anyway, 10 minutes when he can't do anything good or bad, that must be a little tiny oasis for people like us. Anyway, Rory Darch, he might have had the play of the match, punching a ball out to save a try. Totally NFL style, just absolute class. You could see that light sort of dimming in Los Pumas after that. They just kind of looked like, oh, forget it. I love having Darge and, and Watson on at the same time. They'd both been tearing it up all day long. You know, I wouldn't say this match got out of hand, but the momentum was all with Scotland as they cruised to a 6-29 to victory I can't wait to see how saucy Twitter is going to get this coming week. Unacceptable loss one week, dominant win the next. Somehow that makes people even matter, right? It's the weirdest thing. Anyway, final side note. Last weekend, only France out of the so-called home nations managed to win. This weekend, they barely escaped with one, while Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and England all reversed their fortunes, setting up four incredible showdowns for next week. How good is the July window? And then finally, it was the fixture that had me quaking in my boots all week long. The first of the two leg mini series between my USA Eagles and the Chilean Condors. This one in Santiago. The cumulative result to determine who will secure the penultimate slot in the 2023 Rugby World Cup. It just doesn't get much bigger for us here in the United States. The conditions for this one were as bad as any I've ever seen in my entire life with the rain. So heavy, it was basically just a series of muddy pools, sort of vaguely outlined with tufts of soggy grass here and there. Neither team could get much footing, literally or figuratively, and my Eagles went into the lockers at halftime up a single point, 6 to 7. You know, it was pretty pretty funny because several USA players, they changed out of their mud-soaked jerseys into fresh ones, but didn't do the same thing with their shorts. So when they came back... (laughs) out for the second half. Their kits just kind of looked like they didn't even match. It looked like they just had two different uniforms on. It was a surreal sight in a whole weekend of surreal sights. So the Eagles secured a line out deep in Chile's ter- uh, territory, smashed down a try through their driving mall. Joe Toa Fete doing that annoying thing where he tells the crowd to hush as he's on the ground. I mean, let's not get them any more fired up, please. Sure enough, Rodrigo Fernandez, he soon uh, – uh, he soon after broke through, I don't know, four or five U.S. defenders to score a beauty of a solo try right between the posts. With a half hour to go, we were only up one point. By the way, I looked back, and it was not four or five defenders. It was seven or eight after watching the replay. Yikes. Anyway, with the score 11-12, to 12, <laughs> just to make things weirder, the comms kept saying that we had a two-point lead. So the weekend of weirdness continued. Soon after that, we won a penalty, but then angered the ref enough to have him reverse it. Not sure what Savetta was hoping to accomplish there. Not smart play by us. So as you all know, I always love discussing the the atmosphere, the overall look of these big tests. And while it, it must have been an absolute horror show for the players, it was beautiful as a viewer with the pitch just becoming this sort of undulating panoply of blues and greens when the place was quiet for kicking attempts all you could hear was the heavy patter of the rain. It was it was almost like listening to an old, dusty LP of the game or something. It was at once eerie and soothing at the same time. Even those little things, <clears throat> like the, the comms getting the score wrong, there being no indication on the screen of yellow cards, it was, it was like being transported back to a bygone time. In any event, Svetta's moment of ill-discipline turned quickly into three points for the home team, and we were down two and looking tired. Chile brought in a slew of fresh faces and dry uniforms, while we kind of stood there looking winded and muddy. However, our set piece, wow, it was a rock, continued to function unimpaired by the conditions, and in the final quarter, we had a golden opportunity driving right in front of their Ingol area, when boom, the lights went out. In the entire stadium, to make it even weirder. The advertisement ring sort of uh, immediately surrounding the actual field, that still had power somehow. So play continued for a few moments in the flickering glow before a whistle finally came. What on earth? So following an unknown amount of actual time, coverage did continue, showing a quarter hour remaining, USA still driving close in. It was an odd thing because Chile, they, they kept giving away penalties, but... I feel like everyone knew we weren't going to risk trying to kick the points because the conditions were simply too dire. This sort of gave them free reign to do whatever they wanted, daring the ref to go to his pocket, which he seemed dead set against doing at that stage. So as Nick Berry's calm link with Holly Davidson, who was one of the touch judges for this one, gave out forcing another bizarre stoppage, the comms described this as the Groundhog Day match, which obviously didn't really make sense, but I very much appreciated it nonetheless. Uh, Holly Davidson, by the way, she looked like the only individual in the entire facility utterly unperturbed by the conditions. I thought that was beautifully Scottish of her. Anyway, while it didn't help the state of the field itself, it appeared that the rain had mostly subsided and given the option, AJ, he decided to finally go for three right in front. The crowd, by the way, was all over every tiny nuance of this match. And the comms said, I love this crowd. Just a great crowd. And you, you, you simply had to agree very much an evening to remember warts and all he slotted it to restore our single point edge and then the rain was back did i imagine that lol or did aj just kind of decide he needed the weather to do his bidding if so i really wished he would conjure up a few more points while he was doing some summoning Uh, this one could still go any which way at all then another perfectly executed line out another unstoppable maul sploosh we were down in for another try Looking to put this one to bed, AJ remarkably slotted the conversion to make it eight, entering five minutes left to go. Quote, at the end of the day, it's been rugby, unquote. Drolled the comms, and I did that little, like, that doggy face where you, they sort of turn their head sideways, and one ear goes up, like, Burr. Anyway, Cam Dolan, he showed some unbelievable defense on the goal line and what looked, it basically looked like an orgy at Woodstock. But Chile, they hammered through anyway, with the comms finally mentioning that the point differential is really the only thing that matters in this. Did they pick at my notes by any chance? With seven seconds to go and the extras to be taken, would they be given a chance at the restart? Uh, The answer was no, no, Uh, to the chagrin of the crowd. And even AJ, it was like he needed some extra convincing just to believe that we were at full time. What a wacky wild match, said the comms. And yes, I mean, in the end, All this match did really was give 46 men a really solid chance to catch a bad cold while ensuring us a single-point handicap coming to Colorado next weekend. Hopefully, the sold-out and sunny confines of Glendale will be enough for us to punch our big ticket. Man, oh man, what a slog. Chile 21, USA 22, and the weekend of weirdness came to a sloppy end well by that music you will all know it's time for this week's diamond in the ruck award this week we're giving the accolades to gerhard vandeheva winger for japan mr vandeheva You put in an all-time performance for the Brave Blossoms this weekend, shedding tackles and shredding defensive patterns on offense, then turning around, forcing turnovers, and generally wreaking havoc on defense. You were simply everywhere on the pitch. The timing of your offloads combined with the accuracy of your passes and kicks left French defenders pulling their hair out. And if Japan had come away with the win it would have been largely attributed to your individual efforts. Ever since you came to Japan six years ago, you've become more and more indispensable, and this weekend, you showed the whole world why you're starting on the wing for an international squad capable of challenging the best in the world. Gerhard van de, v- van de Hiva, you were a revelation to behold in Tokyo on Saturday. Congratulations, for you are, this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, my friend. Okay, my friends, that's almost us at the finish line. That does bring us to our updates and previews. And you know what? Next weekend will be eerily similar to this one in terms of fixtures and chronology with the addition of the second match between the Maori All Blacks and Ireland A on Tuesday morning this time. Uh, Can't wait for that one. The first one was a cracker. So anyway, on Saturday, everything else unfolds, beginning with New Zealand versus Ireland. Wow. Australia versus England. Wow. Argentina versus Scotland. Wow. South Africa versus Wales. Oh, wow. That I can't wait to see this, the selections this time. This is going to be a big week about talk for that particular fixture. And then finally, of course, my USA Eagles versus Chile for the World Cup. Come on! Well, my friends, it was another incredible week of these July internationals. It set the stage nicely for next week. I can't even wait. So quick reminder, though, you've been listening to our 51st weekly episode, which means next weekend represents our first full year as a podcast. I'm very proud of the work we've done all year. I'm excited to get to season two celebrate the anniversary. I'm going to be having friends of the pod and frankly, friends, John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, join me here to talk summer tests. Look back on the year in rugby. You won't want to miss that one. Also, if you have ideas or suggestions for other potential guests or things we can do starting the next season, please let me know. That has worked out smashingly so far. Every time somebody reaches out with an idea, I've tried to implement it and it's always added value to this pod, which I just love. It's it's so great to be part of a, a collaboration in a way. Besides, it's just always great to hear from you anyway. Even if you have no ideas at all, just say hi. I always appreciate it. So as always, my friends, thank you again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.